This message is brought to you by Cornerstone Gospel Church in Frankston, Australia. We're looking at the nature of true Christianity. Um, Christianity has some exclusive claims that set it apart from all other religions. And in fact, um, I once heard it brilliantly described that there are only essentially two types of religions in the world. There are works-based religions and those religions are religions in which the adherent or the the member of that religious uh, organisation believes that getting to heaven or paradise or nirvana or whatever it is involves trust in the system, whatever that system is, and the addition of individual works. And so if you, if you think of Islam, uh, for example, the, the belief in Allah and then the saying of the, the creed to declare yourself um, you know, to be a Muslim uh, and the following of the five pillars. So these works, and of course that, that gets added to by different imams and things like that. If you think about Roman Catholicism, uh, there is an, an essence of faith combined with works, and those works are penances and, and indulgences, which have, uh, you know, ways of attempting to please God that by doing those things, God will be satisfied with us enough that when we die, he'll take us into his presence. So there are workspace religions. Um, there are even Christian religions, very Christian religions in terms of some of the orthodox teaching they have, which also fall into works-based while other portions of that same movement might have a very uh, uh, faith-based belief system. So there are works-based religions. I said there were two types of religions. The other type of religion is grace-based religions. And there is essentially only one, and that is... Uh, not um, uh, that, that is an exclusive claim because the grace-based religion are those churches, true churches that preach the gospel of salvation by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, not by works, lest any man should boast. And and so that is an exclusive. Uh, grouping because it only includes Christianity in that. Christianity is the only religion that is truly grace-based. Uh, and that that is that salvation is not by our own effort or our own works. So we're looking at the nature of true Christianity and we've moved along a little bit from that. And right at the moment we are uh, in the final part of uh, salvation, past, present, and future. We're looking at First uh, Peter chapter two. If you want to uh, turn to there, you can go back over the previous messages. 
um, to get the background on this one because we, we've not been doing recaps so that we can condense these a little. But, but it is important to say that, um, you know, there, there are different euphemisms about history and one is that history is his story. Um, you know, these kinds of things, that's good. It's, you know, it's nice, it's cute. It misses out on one S, but it's cute. But history is about specific events that happen in specific locations at specific times. So, you know, if you're a football fan, you can remember all kinds of details about football uh, and football grand finals in particular and winning goals that were kicked sometimes after the siren and you remember... Uh, where that game was played, the weather that was there, and all different kinds of things about that. Because that's history. No matter how irrelevant it seems to some of us, it can be seem very relevant to you. The Bible teaches us about man's history, and it says that man fell into sin, or it's called the fall, but really man ran headlong into sin. He didn't fall, because fall kind of implies an a, um, uh, an accident that you were kind of walking blindly and accidentally fell. But man, man's fall was a deliberate, deliberate movement into sin by choice. And that happened at a specific point in world history. Christ came into the world at a specific point at a specific location, at a specific time in history. He was crucified at a time in history and at a specific location uh, geographically. These things are important because when Christ returns, the evidence of his victory over sin, that not only was Christ crucified at a particular location and time in history, but that he was buried in a tomb and rose again and ascended. When he returns, the evidence of his ascension is going to be clear to everybody, believer and unbeliever. It's going to be clear to them all. People will not be able to deny the resurrection of Jesus in that time. He will establish his kingdom. He will establish peace and you know the on earth today there's neither universal peace uh, for the individual nor for mankind um, and so this will only occur with the revelation of Jesus at that time first Peter chapter 2 verses 9 and 10 but you are a chosen generation and you know you should um, when you read verses like this, you should highlight the verbs because it, it and 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 some of the nouns and pronouns are really important because he says you are you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim. Here is your purpose in life that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Oh, pastor, I don't know what to do with my life. 
Proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his light. Do that. Then further direction will come. Verse 10, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And all God's people said, Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Our Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you so much, Lord, for the richness of fellowship around uh, song and praise and, and, uh, Lord, in sharing together this morning. We ask you, Lord, uh, take your word and stir our hearts, Lord, this morning. Let us not leave this place in the way in which we came, but be changed and transformed by the living power of your word. In Christ's mighty name, amen. Okay. So, God intends that there should be evidence of the reality of the Christian life in our lives. And and this is evidence now of the cross. The fact that you and I are born again and raised into a new life, we are to now evidence that to people around us. He states that in the present life, Christians are called for a purpose, and that purpose, firstly, is to show forth the praises of God. I think there's nothing more, um, maybe, maybe a different way of approaching it is that there's nothing sadder than a Christian who has a lack of purpose in their lives. Because at the very least, you and I should have that purpose of showing forth the praises and the glory of God. That is something we should be living to do. Everything else takes a back seat to that. God has intended that we should be the evidence, the demonstration of the victory of the cross that you and I are the living evidence of that victory that Jesus accomplished at the cross. And so, uh, with that in mind, let's continue. Now, in order to understand salvation, it's important that we understand the sole basis for salvation is the finished work of Christ at Calvary. The sole basis of salvation is not faith. Sometimes we get this back to front. Faith is vital. Without faith, nobody will be saved. Amen? But if we're confused about this, we become confused completely. A man is never justified on the basis of his own faith. He's never justified on the, on the basis of uh, some declaration of faith because that could be faith in anything. Faith is the empty hand, one man has said, by which we receive God's wonderful gift of salvation. So salvation has been accomplished in the person of Jesus Christ who went to the cross and at that cross he declared, it's almost done. 
No? I'm glad you think not that. We'd be worried. He declared what? It is finished. All done. All paid for. So this is important for us to understand because because our faith is built on that. That is where salvation rests, is in the complete work of Christ at the cross. Faith is simply believing that to be true. Faith is about you and I understanding that that Jesus Christ took the place of me. I was the Barabbas in the story. He took my place on that cross. But something that was different in that I should have died for my sins and continued to suffer for my sins. Instead, he died and then was buried and rose again to demonstrate victory over sin and death. Hallelujah. So justification, which is our salvation. Salvation is built upon the, the matter of justification. And justification, as we've said, can be summarized in, in, uh, to be understood in the, the, the little adage, just as if I'd never sinned. Justification is only, it, it can only happen in your life because of the finished work of Christ at the cross. Without his finished work, you and I cannot be justified. Faith is the instrument by which that finished work is transacted into our lives or upon our lives. So, consider, for example, assurance. Not insurance. The way the gospel is preached today is often an insurance message. You know, that that people get sold a, um, an opportunity to get saved so that you can be insured against hell. When you die, you won't go to hell. That's how it's presented. It's very seldom about our personal sins and needing to be made into right relationship with God. The Bible makes it very clear that a person who is saved has a right to assurance of that salvation. Good place to say amen. 1 John 5 verse 13. John says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. That you may know that you have eternal life. Romans 8 verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. This is one of the beautiful aspects of being born again is that God gives to you and I an assurance of that transition that takes place in our lives. Verse 38 of Romans 8, For I am persuaded that neither death 
nor life. It's a funny thing to say, isn't it? Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. There are many other verses. This refers not only to the initial period. Remember when you were born again, when you placed your faith in Jesus and wherever you were, you may have been at a church uh, altar, you might have been being witnessed to by somebody, you may have been sitting in a park and calling out to God and something transpired and you were born again. And then when you got up from that place, your life was transformed. Something had changed within And it wasn't really an explainable thing. You couldn't say, oh, I know what happened there, you know. Something something happened to you. But these verses are not dealing just with that. These verses are dealing with the life of the believer. That you and I would go on walking with an assurance of salvation. One of the saddest things in, in cults that have a teaching of grace plus works. When you think of um, uh, there are movements within Australia, there's one that teaches, for example, that you have to place faith in Jesus Christ and be water baptised and speak in tongues and then you know you're born again. Poor old thief on the cross. I mean, seriously. What... What about him? I say to you, this day you will be with me in paradise. Oh man, you have to do some gymnastics to get around that verse, don't you? Which they do. Oh, well, there's no comma in the Greek and there'd be a comma right here. I say to you, this day you will be with me in paradise. It wasn't guaranteeing him heaven because paradise means a plot of ground. He's saying, today you're going to die. Oh, wow. Revelation, Jesus. I think I know that. I mean, come on. It's insane the way people think, but because they have a a doctrine to hold on to, they then read their belief into the text. And that is called taking the text out of its context for your pretext. You're using that text for the pretext that you already have. But you see, this assurance is not just for those times when you when you were born again coming from that brokenness into new life and you knew that experience, but it's also for for the other times in your life. Because, trust me, your life is going to go through some crushing times. You are going to go through times in life where, where you're going to wonder, God, where are you in this? Have you left me? 
And John is saying, you can have confidence in the love of God in your life. I'm writing this so that you know that you are his children. Paul is writing and saying, there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. No created thing, no experience, no devastation, no suffering, no loss can separate you. There are going to be times where psychologically and spiritually you'll feel like you've lost your footing. And when you read verses like that, you can say, well, I may feel like I'm on a moving deck in a being tossed around in the waves, but really the scripture teaches I'm standing on you, Jesus, the rock of my salvation. See, you can have assurance because your salvation finishes or or rests, rather, on the finished work of Christ. It is finished, he said. What can you add? You can't add anything. So stop trying. Trust Jesus and then live to the praises of his glory. That's not adding to your salvation. That's being an obedient follower. It's the same with sanctification because sanctification is based on the finished work of Christ at Calvary. You say, oh, but, you know, salvation is tied into my response. Yeah, yeah, it is. But Christ does this work in you as you respond to the revelation of Scripture. It's not a work per se. The instrument to lay a hold of God... at any moment in your life is faith. Faith is the the conduit of his grace. By grace you are saved through faith. One John five verse three says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. You see, justification is a once for all, in a, in a sense, could be a description. It's occurred by God's grace. When we accept Christ as Saviour, we are justified. That's that. But sanctification is a moment-by-moment living of the life of faith. Each moment... Let's think about this simply. A man is travelling through his day and at a given point in time a a temptation confronts him. When that temptation confronts him, he's at a fork in the road, isn't he, at that point. And he can choose one way or choose another. And don't deny that you have choice in that time. Because you have choice in that moment. No matter how quickly it happens, your brain and your heart is at work. It's, it is, there's reams of information going on right there. 
at that time. He can choose this fork or he can choose that fork in the road, one way or the other. When he chooses to walk in that way of sin, he is following the desires of his heart and in that moment he's not living by faith. He's living for his own desire at that time. But when he chooses to walk away from that temptation, no matter how appealing and, and yearning after God and saying, God, I, I feel so pulled in that direction, but I want to serve you and be obedient to you and walk the walk of faith. He's putting into place a simple step of obedience. And that is an act of faith. It's trusting God to deliver him. This is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. Ask yourself this question, because John says his commandments are not burdensome. Sorry, that should say, do you find? So write it in in your notes, do you find? Or you can say, are his commandments? Do you you, um, find his commandments burdensome? Many believers find them to be a burden, actually. But this is because they are not living within the context of Scripture. And that's where we should be living. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For whoever is born of God overcomes the world. Fortunately, it doesn't stop there. But it goes on to say in 1 John 5 verses 3 to 5, he who overcomes the world, who is he that overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. You see, the victory in your Christian life and the overcoming of the sense of obedience being a burden is in trusting Jesus Christ. It's in continuing to look to Jesus. A moment by moment life of faith is the victory. If you think you'll have victory in Jesus because today you came to church and then next Sunday you'll come back to church and get pepped up again... I mean, we just don't do enough of that pepping up anyway in our church to get you through the week. It's, it's not that, you know. We haven't hyped everyone up. We haven't been jumping around, getting all um, psychologically boosted here so we can walk out the door, you know, whoa! Gets us through to Tuesday or Wednesday. Start plateauing. By Saturday, we're real. can't wait for church tomorrow, man. I really need boosting up. That's, that's not Christianity. That's not biblical Christianity. Yeah, sure, there might be some days we come in and we get uplifted by, by the whole worship and fellowship with people and, and maybe edified and rebuked by the Word of God, whatever it is. But beloved, you and I are to be living moment by moment the life of faith. And isn't that where we go wrong? Because a moment-by-moment life of faith is 
a victorious life on the basis of what Jesus has done. He has won the victory. We're trusting him. It's not our victory. It's Christ's victory purchased for us. So, faith is simply the instrument. By grace you are saved through faith, right? So you can think of faith like a conduit, that something travels along to get to the other end, that as you have placed faith in Jesus Christ, God has, by his grace, saved you. By grace you are saved through faith. Faith, therefore, is simply the instrument. It's the empty hands by which a person receives the gift of salvation. We're directing our faith towards the finished work of Christ on the cross. Sin brought separation from God. And with that separation came the penalty of death. This was foreknown by Adam and Eve. They didn't stumble into it and then God said, huh, okay, told you not to eat of the tree, now you're going to have to die. He told them of that beforehand. He warned them about it. This is why I said before, they, they didn't just stumble into sin, they ran headlong into it. This wasn't an accident. Sin brought separation, but justification brings separation from the penalty of sin. You see, when Adam and Eve sinned, the the human race came under the uh, curse of death and all people, through volitional choices, have uh, entered into this relationship with sin whereby we were under the penalty of sin. That penalty being death. But for the believer, justification separates us from the penalty of sin. Hallelujah. When a president... And I say a president because it's common in countries that have a republic and have a president where where a president can give a pardon to uh, a prisoner. And when a president, president does that, that prisoner is separated from the punishment that they were to receive. Sin enslaves every sinner. That's what it does. But sanctification brings present separation from sin's power. That's what sanctification does. If you think back to a sin you struggled with for some time and think back to when you began to get victory over that sin and what happened, what happened was that through the process of sanctification you were separated from its power over your life. And there may be some sins that have power over your life even now. And you, you know, don't look around and think about the other people. I wonder what sin has power over them. Just think about yourself for a moment. Because sin takes hold. It, it makes you its slave. Sanctification brings separation from sin's power.
Sin means all sinners will be condemned to eternal torment. Glorification will take us away from the presence of sin. Because glorification happens at the end of the journey. When we're taken from this life and taken into the presence of God and we will no longer be in the presence of sin. Hallelujah. I mean, you know, it's funny how sin can work sometimes. Because sometimes you can be in the workplace and you're setting a righteous example as a Christian and somebody begins to persecute you in that place and they're really going for it. I've been in that experience a few times. And a couple of times I've kind of lost my testimony because of that persecution from an unbeliever. And the whole reason they were persecuting me was because of my Christian testimony. It's an irony, isn't it? One day we're going to be away from all this. Hallelujah. So salvation is to be lived now. This is, this is the time you get to show forth the praises and glory of God in this, in this world. This is the time that you get to show unbelievers the living reality of what's happened in your life. This is it. They don't want to see another example of religion. There's plenty of that in the world. Amen. The whole unity of biblical teaching is solid in this point. That if we try living the Christian life in our own strength, we will have sorrow. But if we walk the Christian life by faith, moment by moment, waking up each morning and dedicating our lives to God for His service, asking Him for His help and direction in our lives. If we do that each day, we will, instead of walking a life of sorrow, we will be able to walk through the pains and difficulties as well as the high points of the Christian life, bringing praise and glory to Him. Because the how of the Christian life is the power of the crucified and risen Lord through the agency of the indwelling spirit by faith, moment by moment. That's the how of the Christian life. It's not a mystery. Oh, I just don't know. You know. Then, then you're not living moment by moment. You know, maybe you're being consumed by your difficulties and your circumstances and your attention has gone from praising God and pleading with God for His strength and His help to, oh, look at me. Poor, poor me. Why why is this happening to me? I don't know. I can't answer that for you. The real question each of us should ask is, why not me? Why isn't it happening to me? Why is it that I was born at a time in life too late to go to Vietnam War and come back maimed like many young Australian boys did, living with lifelong injuries? Why why is that? Why is it that I was just born 10 years too late for that? 
that could have been drafted into that. Why? I don't know. Why is it that somebody is born with a, a physical ailment that for their life they'll have to deal with? I don't know, but why not me? Why didn't that happen to me? I don't know. But the life of faith is about you and I living moment by moment. What for? For the praise of his glory. That's what it's for. Our life is not about you and I being consumed now with with our wants and our desires. It's about being consumed now to live for his glory. Remember, just a quick recap of this diagram that this is... Uh, oops, sorry, go back because we're going to come to this one in a sec. The, this is where we get saved. We come to Christ by faith in Jesus Christ. This is where we die and we go to heaven or at the rapture of Christ. We're taken into the, the presence of God. And so between these two points, along this, you know, this could be 2019 right here. This could be, you know, 1984 when you got saved. Between here is this process of sanctification, that we are growing and maturing. We're learning to walk in obedience. So, the ongoing part of the Christian life is this sanctification. So, in salvation, we can see that in justification, believers have been saved from the penalty of sin. All right? Who are the sinners in this story? We are. Right? That's us. We're the sinners, and in Salvation by faith in Jesus Christ, we are separated from that penalty. Praise God. Hallelujah. In glorification, we're going to be saved from that presence of sin. We're going to be taken from this world. I mean, you know, um, people are going on about the new abortion laws in New York City and other states of America. We've had them here in Victoria for the best part of 20 years since the Brumby government. We've had them here. Two doctors can sign a young woman's uh, medical requirement for an abortion right up to nine months. That's the law in Victoria. We're going to be away from that insanity. We're going to be away from the gender bending of our children's minds in this generation. There. There's a lot to praise God for. We're going to be away from the sin of this world. Even the sin we kind of feel a longing for at times and we wrestle with. We're going to be away from that. No longer pulling you in that direction. That's the real one to say hallelujah for. So in sanctification, we are being 
That's the present continuous tense. Saved from the power of sin. That's what sanctification is about. God gives you a revelation of a sin that's dominating your life and you have that conviction of that sin and you begin living moment by moment in faith in Jesus Christ and learning to walk in victory over that sin. And when you start to feel good about yourself because you're conquering that sin, he'll show you another sin. He'll show you another issue. Just when you think you've, you've sorted that out, he'll say, oh, but you've been unrighteously angry with your spouse. And he'll bring that before you to work on that. And as you are overcoming that, he'll say to you, but you've been tempted in lustful areas. And he'll help you to work through that so that through sanctification, you can be being separated from sin's power in your life. Hallelujah. And so, between where you got saved and when you go to heaven, actually, this is in many ways the most important part. This is where you're living now. That once you've come to faith in Christ Jesus, now you are to live to the praise of his glory. Now you are to present yourself to him so that the sins he reveals to you, you can learn to conquer having the Lord help you to separate from their power of your lives by yielding them up to him and yielding your members up to him for his service. Justification, glorification, but sanctification, that is a continuous process from our acceptance of Christ up until our death. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. This is our calling, beloved, not to walk in our own strength, not to try and serve God through some pattern of religious teaching in a church or some uh, set of creeds but instead that the living agency of the Holy Spirit would work in our lives so that you and I can learn to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit the dynamis Spelled like dunamis, but it's pronounced dynamis, power. It's where the word dynamo comes from, is from the Greek word dynamis, which is that power of the Holy Spirit. It is a generation of the life of God in you by the Holy Spirit. Imagine that God would care so lovingly to grant joy and peace and power to your life.
If joy and peace and power over sin are absent from our lives, it's not God who is at fault. There's something that we're not living by faith in the present moment. That's what's taking place. I once talked with a guy out on the street who was a professing believer and he had no peace. And as we continued talking, and I asked him, where did this come from, you know? And he had been unfaithful to his wife some years before and had been living with an absence of peace ever since. It's no wonder, because that sin had gone unconfessed and undealt with, and I would venture that his mind had probably gone in many unhealthy areas from that time. And he had no peace or joy. It took a long time for him to make that confession, but that was where the root of it was with that. Come before God in prayerful meditation. Cast everything onto Him. Bring it all to Him. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people. What for? That you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvellous light. That's what we're here for. We're not here to promote Cornerstone. Big deal. Who cares? We're here to promote God. Amen? Amen? That's, that's what we're here for. That you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvellous light, who once were not a people but now are the people of God. We were nobodies before. That's what Peter is saying. You were nobody, but now you're somebody. God's people. And now you have obtained mercy. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Well, we're going to look, following this, at the fruitful bride. And that's that's where the outworkings of the Christian life become very encouraging. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you and we praise you here this morning. Lord, we love you for all you've done for us in Christ Jesus. And Lord, it's it's axiomatic that you are dealing with very broken vessels here. Lord, that we have so many failings and so many faults that we fall short so often. Lord, that we venture into our own ways so many times. But yet you are loving and patient and kind to correct us and bring us back into line. Help us, Lord, to walk as Peter says and show forth the praise of your glory. In Christ's mighty name, amen.
Thank you for listening to this message. You're welcome to duplicate this message in its entirety for non-profit purposes. For more information and resources, visit cgc.org.au.